Welcome to Mind the Gaps, a Women, Peace and Security podcast. On this podcast, we explore the world of Women, Peace and Security, or WPS, through speaking to experts and practitioners from around the world, working under the umbrella of WPS. My name is Eva Tabassum, and I'm the Director of Gender Action for Peace and Security, also known as GAPS. Join us as we release a new episode bi-weekly focusing on another important aspect of the WPS agenda, where I will be speaking to some brilliant guests who will share their takes and recommendations on this important topic. Today's podcast will discuss women and girls' rights in Afghanistan and the global response a year and a half after the withdrawal of international forces, the collapse of the government and the handover of the country to the Taliban. I will be joined for this discussion by Mariam Rahmani and Hasina Safi. Mariam has recently joined Womankind Worldwide, which is a UK-based organisation working for women's empowerment, where she is an advisor on Afghanistan. Mariam is also a country representative for Afghan Women's Resource Centre, which is a local women's organisation working in six provinces in Afghanistan. And she's also a board member of the Afghan Women Network and a core member of the Women's Regional Network. Hasina Safi is a well-known civil society and women's rights activist from Afghanistan. She's worked for a variety of national and international organisations, including the International Rescue Committee, Afghan Women's Educational Centre, the United Nations Development Programme, Afghan Women's Network and the High Peace Council. She was a member of the peace negotiation team in 2018 and then most recently served as the Acting Minister of Women Affairs for the Islamic Republic of Afghanistan before the Taliban takeover. Afghanistan has experienced various forms of armed conflict in the past 50 years and the situation of women and girls' rights throughout this period has varied drastically. Until the Soviet invasion and the occupation of Afghanistan in the 70s, there was a relatively steady progression for women's rights in the country, with the right to vote enshrined in 1919 and increased political participation and access to education. However, following coups, Soviet occupation and subsequent civil conflict in the 80s, women's rights were also increasingly rolled back and attacked. The Taliban, who emerged from armed groups within civil conflict, came to rule Afghanistan from 96 until 2001. Under the Taliban regime, there were limited availability for women to access education, healthcare and employment, as well as participate in politics and public life. Often legal rights of women were removed or discriminatory laws were harshly enforced. In 2001, immediately following the September 11th attacks, the US and Allied forces led an international military campaign in Afghanistan. And during this war, we saw many world leaders, including the UK, the US and UN employed narratives about the improvement of women and girls' rights as a justification for their military intervention. As a British feminist with Afghan heritage, whose politics was very much shaped by 9-11 and the invasion of Afghanistan, I strongly remember that the discourse at the time from Sherry Blair to Hillary Clinton was invoking their version of feminism and justifying the occupation and war of Afghanistan in order for white men to save brown women, as Spivak famously puts it. During this period of intervention, the Women, Peace and Security advocates and international donors saw an opportunity for implementing the newly passed UN Security Council Resolution 1325 on WPS. And the previous Afghanistan government, supported by Allied forces, developed its first national action plan in 2015. Although during this period some gains were made, for example on political participation and access to education, as well as economic opportunities, 
These gains were still fragile and the security situation continued to deteriorate. During various rounds of peace talks between 2005 and 2020, and during the signing of a peace agreement in 2020, women in civil society were often routinely excluded or their consultations were held in parallel. Just over a year after the signing of this peace agreement and with little coordination or forward planning, the US and Allied forces fully withdrew from the country leading to the collapse of the Afghan armed forces and essentially a Taliban handover. Despite rhetoric from the Taliban assuring the respect of human rights and the freedoms of women and girls, there has since been a substantial rollback on women's rights, including an indefinite ban on university education for women only and a ban on women working in national and international NGOs and the arrest and killing of women rights activists and women leaders. Over the past year and a half, there has been widespread frustration from Afghan civil society and women rights actors within the political and financial response of the international community. I'm really pleased today that we have Mariam and Hasina here to share us their experiences and their reflections on this very complex situation, who both come at it from different angles. Thank you so much for joining us on this podcast episode, Mariam. So you're currently the Afghanistan advisor for womankind, and you're also the country representative for the Afghan Women's Resource Center, which is a women's organization working in six provinces of Afghanistan. So I wanted to just touch on the ban that took place in December 2022. So the Taliban had ordered all local and international NGOs to stop female employees from coming into work. And many international agencies suspended their operations while trying to get exemptions for some of the work to continue with women's participation. I wanted to ask, as someone who has a local NGO, and specifically a women-led NGO, could you tell us how this has impacted the work and other women-led organisations in the country? Thank you very much, Eva. And my point of view, uh, the situation is really bad because since the ban for the past almost three and a half months, nothing very concrete and practical has occurred. We all can see that the UN responses and UN statements are very diplomatic. And at the same time, like there was once a joint statement by the foreign ministries on the issues of Taliban ban. And it was really not like it was a kind of a diplomatic again because the concerns were mentioned in that statement. However, there was no solutions indicated, at least proposed. At the same time, you can see that right now, both the international organizations, the UN and the Taliban preference is humanitarian work. So I think that it's just setting minds that currently only people need this humanitarian work and Humanitarian work can be delivered by men employees as well. So that's why they are focusing on the issues of humanitarian work and its importance. And it's also very easy for the organizations to switch their employees from female to male because Taliban says that the women can be beneficiaries but not the employees. So there is a justification that, okay, the women are receiving the aid and this can be delivered by men. So the project should keep going, and which is already uh, the situation in Afghanistan. Overall, even small development work projects are suspended. If you go, like even men organizations, if they go with a project development project, it takes months and months at the ministry to get permission. 
for women organizations, the situation is, of course, not very easy right now, although there is no formal decree, but still, if there is a change in director or a deputy director position, the ministry is not accepting a woman replacing those positions, and they are not registering or uh, recording such information. When it comes to a project that should be registered, if a woman organization wants to take a project for registration, they are not accepting. They are just trying to make ways how to find issues on that project so it could not be registered. Therefore, like there are several other issues going on which are like not in a formal of a formal decree, but the practice is going on. Like the, the situation, everyone is just calm and think that everything is going well. Mostly the Taliban are, as you know, that they're usually in response to any statement. They just say this is some temporary situation. We are working on the situation and it will get better. I think we should not believe or we should stop believing in this sentence because it's now 18 months and nothing is changing. One last thing that I wanted to mention is that they are very good in terms of relation with international organizations rather than local organizations. And even now, like I know some organizations that they have gained permission, they have acquired permission to start their activities with even with their female employees, but they are international organizations. And the uh, local organizations are in the same situation. Their doors are closed. Only those projects that are subcontracted with an international organization, they are permitted to like kind of to reopen because the international organizations are like they were able to get permission to resume the project back. That's the reason their subpartners were also get the same permission. However, independently, the women organization doors are closed. Thank you so much for sharing that. And what will be the long-term consequences for this? Like, what will you see what will happen to local women rights organizations, local NGOs? It's like systematically erasing like women, women voices, women activities. So I think it's a very long-term kind of a strategy that right now, you, as you see, at the beginning, there were statements, there were press conferences, there were panel discussions. But now they have, due to lack of and very weak coordination between all international and national organizations, the situation is not that much a priority in Afghanistan. Everyone is just trying to accept the situation. In this condition, you know, it's like gradually women are just being removed from the system. Although some, especially international organizations, because you know local organizations don't have that much resources, but international organizations had responded that we will continue paying the salary of our employees. It's also kind of not a sustainable solution because even international organizations will stop in a way or even when they are paying salaries of some project staff, whether inside their own organization or to a sub-partner, there will come a stage that the project will finish and of course they will stop paying the salary of those employees. You know, there would be time coming that 
those local organizations that will get new projects and will hire new employees, of course, men. So whether those new projects will be able to pay the salaries of those women employees of the old project, it's, it's not possible. So the main thing is that no concrete action is leading us to kind of a complete erasing of women from the whole system, whether it's education, work, social activities, or um, non-governmental organizations. And in your view, what do you see are the next steps that need to be taken in terms of for the international community? What can we do or what can the international community do to support women-led civil society, especially given that if we do carry on, as you say, it will be the complete wipeout of local-led NGOs, specifically women-led NGOs? In terms of steps, like what we see is that, first of all, there should be a strong coordination between international organizations first, because at the moment, usually people ask that why I'm much more focusing on the issues of international organizations, because we have seen practically that they have that much importance or they are kind of much accepted at this context rather than the local organization. But even those who know that they have much more power than the local organizations is still most of the international organizations are moving independently, individually, like not in a form of a bigger group. The first thing is if there is a strong coordination between international organizations, so everyone could be on the same page, on the same advocacy work. And at least like after this coordination, they could have set up an advocacy group to help their former or current local partners, especially women-led organizations, to continue their advocacy work to re uh, try to reopen those organizations and at the same time make possible their female employees to come back to work. And the second thing is the coordination of national organizations. Like, I'm sorry to say that, but national organizations, especially men-led organizations, are really less serious about this issue. The whole female staff are at home, but they have, they just are continuing their projects. They have all opened back their offices and start their operations. I am just like kind of wondering that for both men-led national organizations and also international organizations, that once there was the issue of gender mainstreaming was very essential to get a project and it was a kind of a justification type of thing when it came to the project that when the bid or used to be successful to be implemented. However, now when the women need all of these issues as priority more than any other time, like the international organizations are quiet and the international organizations, this is also not a priority anymore. So this is a sad situation because something that all those gender trainings, gender mainstreaming, gender policies, everything is like right now or just remain on paper and no one is taking any concrete action for this. At this time, I only have these two suggestions that there should be a strong coordination of international organizations and a working group of both national organizations, especially the bigger national organizations that are implementing big and big projects but with no female employees. So there should be a small working group 
from both international and national organizations uh, who could give importance to this issue within the system. And also the network organizations need to do their coordination right now, like AWN. Of course, AWN is also limited to their activities. I know I can understand, but at the same time, Agwa, which is the biggest network organization, they have to actually play their role because they have lots of women-led organizations as members, and they should not and they cannot actually ignore those members by just keeping uh, or continuing the silence. Thank you, Mariam. What's the impact for beneficiaries if women-led organizations are unable to do their work or reach communities? How is this playing out in the provinces and the towns, specifically with women and girls? Right now, Taliban says that, okay, we don't have problem that women are beneficiaries, but the employees should be men. Like, you know, it's whether they will allow a class of women sitting in a place learning like literacy or a vocational skill and the teacher would be men. Never, because they already have mentioned that even in a humanitarian sector, the female and male staff rules should be separated. So right now, the only intention is to make women only as a kind of aid receiver. Like they say that they accept women as a beneficiary, but what kind of beneficiary? Just to go present kind of a, maybe a UN-related aid receiving car something and receive some kind of a food support and take it back to their home. They are not accepting women as a literacy, like kind of a beneficiary or a trainee, a vocational skill trainee, a, a local business trainee, which most of the women-led organizations used to do it at the, especially at village levels. So they are like currently the women are only the aid receiver during the as a beneficiary only few and very rare in cases that the international organizations have succeeded to take permission to resume their work their sub partners women led organizations could only seek permission to resume only that part of the project that is linked with that international organization so right now the normal situation where beneficiaries, where women would be beneficiary for any sector would be kind of a trainee, a student, a worker, a local business developer, kind of a cooperative, a woman cooperative member. Nothing has remained at the ground. Right now, you won't be able to see uh, such things, even at kind of city level, at village and community level, of course, everything is closed. And... In your experience, in your view, do you see this ban being reversed in the future? Or do you just see this situation getting worse and there will be just even more harsher restrictions and control on women? Based on the past experience of the five years, so that situation has completely come back. Like It's the same mentality, the same process. The only thing that these issues are more highlighted. They have taken very little light and on some issues is just because of the communication system and internet and social media. Otherwise, like everything is the same and without any proper interference, without any proper a forum of decision-making on this situation, I, at least I don't see any improvement 
that they would automatically bring in their work. They are receiving money weekly. Gradually, they are the diplomatic relations are being established, whether it's official or non-official. You already know that two of the embassies are already handed over to the Taliban. And uh, apart from only discussions, nothing is being kind of uh, happening that we see that it's a kind of a hope that's coming. So right now, we know that they themselves won't change the situation until there is a kind of an influencing power. And the influencing power holders are also not taking that kind of action that's needed at this time. And we don't know why, only the, the answer is with the politics, I think. Thank you, Mariam. Thank you so much, Asina, for joining us on this podcast episode. I would like to just quickly ask first, how have the latest developments in Afghanistan affected civil society and specifically women-led organizations that have been working on peace and security and women's rights? Thank you very much, Eva. I think starting from the latest development, as a women's rights activist, there is no development in relation to women, peace and security. And being brought up or living as a civil society activist uh, who started from the definition of peace and participated in track two and track one dialogues, uh, there is no development for those women who started and took the risk and struggled to make it possible to participate in the sector of women, peace and security from being symbolic uh, to the participation of women meaningfully, uh, starting from the social, cultural, economical, and definitely political affairs. I think there is no address for women, and there is no address and respect for their work, their capacity, as well as uh, their participation in the development of Afghanistan today. Yeah, which is mobility around for the day-to-day needs, uh, till participation in the different organizations. Definitely there is a big absence in the government level uh, with the civil society. Still, I applaud uh, to the women who are taking the risk and uh, they are in a low profile or hidden profiles. They are continuously and consistently contributing to the efforts of stability or maybe sustaining the gains which they have worked. Unfortunately, when it comes to their physical appearance, it's a big risk for them. So with civil society organizations, it has been a devastating black era, uh, starting from the definition of peace to the participation of peace. Thank you so much. You paint a really bleak picture. And, you know, a lot of people and WPS advocates and myself have said that, you know, after 20 years of so much women, peace and security work, Afghanistan was almost sort of like a litmus test for the, the agenda. How quickly it was for those gains to have fallen away. 
And as you say, that there are civil society and women still trying to contribute to efforts and, and, and still ensure that those gains continue. How do you, as someone who's still in contact with organisations and, and you're still doing some activism on the ground with those that are still there, how do you see the role of women, peace and security now being in advocating for any change in Afghanistan? Eva, uh, I think as someone who struggled and who lived in the last 20 years with a struggle or with the efforts of women, peace and security, the one thing which still uh, the people of Afghanistan, the women of Afghanistan, uh, the committed international partners who could be proud of to not to regret to have supported is the women and peace and security in Afghanistan. Like even today, the women of Afghanistan have scattered like pieces of glass when it breaks down. Uh, however, still from the different corners of the world, they are trying to connect. They are trying to uh, talk. They are trying to give hope with the little capacity uh, through the international platform advocacy, whatever they can. Uh, so the one thing which I think that you, me, and all the women solidarity or women movement around the world can be proud of is the energy, the passion, uh, the willingness to still be consistent uh, with the peace and development, regardless of very clearly understanding the hardship, the, the, the bureaucracy, and also sometimes the symbolicalism within the inconsiderate decisions which have been taken in the last two years. And then just on that last point, what do you see were the key kind of failures of the international community, specifically thinking about the various rounds of peace negotiations that had happened just before the lead up to the withdrawal? What were the failures of the international community then? What should they have done to avoid this situation? I think the first and the far most important aspect is not have been into the realities on the ground that Afghanistan has changed, Afghan people have changed, Afghan women have changed. They did not really consider their own efforts, which had been invested on the nation building and development of Afghanistan in the last 20 years. They did not take it serious. They did not consider the peace negotiations as important as it had to be, more specifically, the role of women, the involvement of women, the contribution that the women could play as a legitimate actor of change with peace. And so that is the most important thing. They took it very, very ordinary or very common. Okay, this is a deal. This is not a deal. This is a matter of millions and millions of lives who have now scattered around the world and who are still living a life of a woman, living a life of a female-headed family and living of a life with fear and horror of how to really go out and get the very basic need as a women-led family, which they required. So they had been hasty inconsiderate, and even themselves unaware of the developments which had been done in the last 20 years. 
Thank you, Sina. And as it's coming up to what is nearly two years now since, tw- since August 2021, and we hear talks of international communities thinking about now what next for the political track? What next in terms of the future of Afghanistan? What are you hoping to see when they have these discussions, when the international community decide to think about any negotiations with the Taliban? The first thing, Eva, that I would like to see is listen. They really have to listen to us. They really have to listen to all the relevant stakeholders. That is what we have been advocating for. All those have been involved in the development of Afghanistan in the last 20 years, starting from a small little business of poultry or kitchen garden to a big trade company which a woman is leading or which a common citizen is leading. So it's listen, coordinate within your own allies, those international partners who really want to see Afghanistan develop, not only because Afghanistan is a vulnerable country, not because Afghanistan is a rich natural resource country, not because Afghanistan is a poor country, but because Today it is Afghanistan. Tomorrow it can be one of them. So they need to coordinate. They need to learn from the lessons learned. They need to be more efficient with the resources which they are investing, whether it is evacuation, whether it is risk management, whether it is development, whether it is resettlement, whether it is humanitarian aid. They have to coordinate and they have to define a one a one coordinated mechanism and then follow up based on monitoring to really see that those who are in the specific needs, whether they are inside Afghanistan, outside Afghanistan, to really see how they can benefit to those who are in need. Third thing is use the resources that they have provided the opportunity for them to develop the expertise, their human capacity, and their human passion, which they have. And the last thing is, all these tools, which have been developed in the last 20, 30, 50 years, where is it? Why is it not being now implemented? Let's talk about Women, Peace, and Security. Security Council Resolution 1325. Who is talking about this in the meetings? It is not an internal affair. It is an international affair. I think these are some of the very hot or maybe some of the very urgent points where they have to consider for Afghanistan as a nation at crisis now, as a nation in mid-development, as a nation towards development instability, not only for Afghanistan, but to the whole world. You speak so passionately about how the Women, Peace and Security agenda needs to be applied. And I guess my question would be to you is what can be done now to support the peace and security agenda in Afghanistan? Given the current edict with the ban on the women's participation in NGOs, INGOs, the complete ban on their participation in social and and, and political life. What can we do now when when you think about the next five years? I think the first thing, as someone who has evacuated in the last two years, the first thing is 
there is no best time for the implementation of Security Council Resolution 1325, but to help facilitate, accommodate, and provide opportunities to Afghan women because they are in conflict, they can become agents of peace, and they can further help with the stability of peace in the world. So what you can really do is to provide facilities and opportunities to those who you really think can be the agents of peace in Afghanistan based on their expertise and based on their affiliation with the grassroots, with the policy, and with the international community. Thank you so much, Hasina. Uh, thank you so much for sharing your insights and your experience of over 20 years of women, peace and security. It's really insightful and, you know, we hope to see the same things that you would like to see in the international community really push for women's peace and security and the participation of women and girls. Thank you again for joining us on this episode. Thank you very much. I wish you best of luck. Thank you so much for listening to Mind the Gaps, a women, peace and security podcast. We hope you enjoyed the episode and hope you listen to our next episode, which will be released in two weeks time. If you found the episode interesting, please do share with your colleagues and networks and feel free to subscribe and review the podcast on whatever podcast platform you are listening to us on. If you have any questions or suggestions for future episodes, we would love to hear from you. Please email us at info at gaps-uk.org. You can find out more about GAPS's work and our future plans on our Twitter at GAPS underscore network and by signing up to our monthly newsletter on our website. This podcast is made through the support of the Netherlands Ministry of Foreign Affairs through their funding of the Leap for Peace Consortium, which GAPS is a member of. The podcast is hosted by Eva Tabasum and is written, produced and edited by Florence Wallacar and supported by the GAPS team. Our thanks also to Andrew O'Connor at Safer World for the technical support and to Jimena Duran at NAMD with the consortium lead for Leap Peace. We look forward to our next episode and to you joining us then. Mm-hmm.